And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people of Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Solomon recognized that the temple was the fulfillment of God's plan more than David's or Solomon's. David and Solomon were human instruments, but the work was God's. So we learn as we study this dedication that Solomon did not dedicate the temple from within the temple. It would be inappropriate for him to do so because he was a king and not a priest. The holy place and the most holy place were only for chosen descendants of high priests. As believers, we also know that Jesus tore that veil between the holy place and the most holy place during his sacrifice on the cross so that we have access to our God. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Job done even better than the next guy. You know, that's our mentality. And God's like, you know, I'm going to use you, but it's not going to be quite the way you think. Can you be content with that? Can you be content with only doing about that much and, I, and somebody else doing that much? Can you, can you get by with that? I could use you to do the whole thing, but would, are you going to be upset if I just use you for this part? Are you content? Are you willing to do that and somebody else do this? And, and it's good for us to be, say, yes, Lord. That's the proper thing to say to the Lord. Yes, Lord. Anything else is my own will being done. Anything else is my will. And it can't be my or your will. It has to be the Lord's way, the Lord's way. But in Ezekiel chapter 10 when God had told them over and over again about their idolatry, finally the presence of God leaves in a very tangible way. It tells us in Ezekiel 10, verse 4, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, this is in the temple, and paused over the threshold of the temple. Now I want you to vision this in your mind. Think of the temple, and it's at the threshold of the temple now, okay? The, 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 holy, you know, the Spirit of God, the presence of God is moving, this Shekinah glory. It's resting now over the threshold of the temple. Now in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18, what does it say? Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And notice in verse 19 it goes, And they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And now the glory of the Lord went from the, 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 the threshold of the temple, now goes even further east over to the eastern gate. He's leaving. And each step of the way, there's a pause. It's almost like the, the Lord's waiting for them to change. Are you willing to change? And he's just like, man, they're just doing the same thing. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing there. They, 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 they've gone too far. 
And notice now in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 22, notice this is the sad commentary. The cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord of God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord, notice, went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain which is on the east of the city, which is the Mount of Olives. So it starts in the temple, it goes to the threshold, it goes to the eastern gate, and now it is on the Mount of Olives, and then it's gone. Then it's gone. And the next time that we see the glory of the Lord appearing in the temple is in Ezekiel 43. And what temple is that? The millennial temple. So the next time we see the Shekinah glory coming upon the, the temple that Jesus is going to build. And, and it says in uh, Ezekiel 43, again, speaking of the millennial temple, it says, um, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now God, because he is the center of it again, the Spirit of God, the very presence of God is there. But between now and then, the Spirit of God is not in the temple. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. So the priests, verse 11, back in our text, the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in a dark cloud. And, you know, the the thing is, as God does, he dwells in unapproachable light. It tells us that in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, that, that he alone, Jesus, has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light which no man has seen or can see. He's also a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 says that. For the Lord our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And yet at least when he's in our midst or in our presence, he veils himself in this dark cloud. uh, He veils himself. He did it on the Mount Horeb when he came down on the mountain. Remember, he came down in a thick cloud and thunder and lightning, and they were all frightened at the presence of God. They couldn't see him. All they could see is just this, the thunder and the cloud and the lightning and everything and the horn blaring. Psalm 18 is a wonderful psalm that just kind of reinforces this. It says he... As, uh, Psalm 18, beginning in verse 9, it says, He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew, and he flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. And the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. That doesn't, if that doesn't sound like power, I don't know what is. But it's a veiling. It's a veiling of who he really is. So verse 13, it says, I have surely built you an exalted house, Solomon says, and a place for you to dwell forever. And so now in verse 14, he's going to be, um, he's going to give a speech concerning the completion of the work. So he says, then the king turned around and he blessed the whole assembly of Israel with all the assembly of Israel was standing which I think is interesting. They're all standing at attention. They're not sitting in their chairs with a, you know, a caramel macchiato or a, a Dunkin' Donuts you know, iced tea or something like that. No, they're standing and they're, they've got their eyes fixed on Solomon as he is blessing this. 
And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people of Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. And you remember last week we looked at a number of these scriptures in Chronicles and in Kings where this was so. And even back in Second Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, we looked at that quite a bit. But now in verse 17 he says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it, that it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build me a temple, but your son, who will come from your own body, he shall build a temple for my name. And so the Lord has lifted, or fulfilled, excuse me, his word which he spoke, and I, have, and I have filled the position of my father David, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have made a place for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so now in verse 22 till about verse 53, we're going to see Solomon's prayer of dedication. And you're going to see in this prayer some very interesting prophetic passages. And so... um, Let's read it. So then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. It's right there in the, in the court. Uh, as you were facing the east, going into the temple, it would be on your right side. So he's standing there before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands toward heaven. He spread out his hands toward heaven because in heaven is where God dwells. Yes, and no matter where you are on the earth, I know we live on a circular earth, but no matter where you're at on that earth, gravity, thank God, is keeping us on. But wherever it is, when you look up, and you, God dwells in that sphere. He dwells out there that we can't even imagine the, the, the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the, the kingdom that we maybe can't even be seen with naked eyes. We don't even know exactly where it is. But notice in verse 23, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. And what I like about this is he's just extolling. It's really worship, really. He's saying, God, you're the covenant-keeping God. That's what Jehovah, that's what his name means part of his name he's a covenant keeping god he can keep a promise he's not like me or you where we can make a promise and we just can't keep it no god when he makes a promise because he is almighty god he cannot fail he cannot say something and then not follow through with it or have the power to bring it to pass no he can speak with 100 percent surety And as he writes his word and even prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, God's not wringing his hands up there thinking, oh my gosh, Elon Musk bought Twitter. This is going to throw throw a big wrench in the work that I had. No, God already knew from the beginning that that was going to happen. He knew that the the draft note from Justice Alito was going to be discovered. He knew there was going to be this upheaval. God knows all things. You can't hide anything from him. He's way ahead of the game. You can't play chess and checkmate God. 
The devil is no match for God. The devil's a created being. But God, Almighty God, is the only uncreated one. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nobody created them. They were uncreated. They are all one. He says, you've kept your promise to your servant David, and as at this day you have kept your promise. And therefore, verse 25, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if, and remember, that's a, a conditional promise, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And remember, uh, this is exactly what the Lord spoke to David in Second Samuel 7. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true. Let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven of heavens... Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built for you. And it's true that God is so big and vast. I mean, is he really going to be confined to this little box on the earth? Is he, can he be confined to this little box? No, he can't. But he chooses to dwell with his people, even though God is immense. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, it speaks of the immensity of God. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? I mean, think about that. There's no one like him. This is Almighty God, and this, he demands our reverence. He demands our respect. He demands our worship. And you know, if he was a mere man, we would not worship him, no matter how gifted or talented or wealthy he is. But we can worship Almighty God because he's not stuck on himself. It's not like he needs us. But you know, as long as we have breath in our lungs, we ought to worship the one who gave us this breath and this body and this things, the, all these things that we have. And he's given us eternity and heaven with him. I think he deserves pretty much all of me, Right? He deserves all of me. He deserves all of you. And whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In all that we do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Everything you do. That is a blessed man. That is a blessed woman. So in verse 28, Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people, Israel, when you pray toward this place. Heaven and heaven, or here in heaven, excuse me, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness." 
And when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. Can you see in this prayer of dedication that Solomon, even rate what we just read, he's prophesying of conditions that will happen in the future. They are going to be defeated before an enemy because they have sinned. And they are going to go to Babylon. And they are going to pray and confess their sin. And God is going to bring them back. And so Solomon here, whether he is knowingly doing this or not, he is prophesying of things that are yet to happen in their future, in Israel's future. Um, In fact, in Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in verse 32, God warns the Israelites concerning the consequences of sin and rebellion. And he says this to them, and this is before they get into the promised land. He says, I will scatter you, God speaking here, I will scatter you among the nations and draw a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And he goes on, and at the very last part of the uh, grouping uh, that I'm reading in verse 40, it says, but if, and here it is, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they have also walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. And so that is something I'm sure that might be in Solomon's mind. Perhaps. But he's prophesying of something that's really going to happen yet in their future. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, we know this verse very well, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's one we heard today as we uh, sent out the thing for the National Day of Prayer today. This is a really great verse. Uh, Even though it's uh, specific toward uh, the Jewish people, for the church, it works for us too because the concept is still the same. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face, God says, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. See, that's what we need to do. And I believe we need to do that. I believe the church, we need to do this. We are his people. We need to turn from our sin. We need to lead this charge in our country because no one else is going to do it and they're not going to do it right. But if we confess our sins and walk with the Lord and we do what we're called to do and we love people and we pray to God and we confess those things, is there anything that he won't do? Can he restore the United States? even to a glory that she never had before, a greater glory? Can he do it? I think he can. But you know what? We, he wants to wake us up. Folks, we've been asleep too long. I've been asleep too long. The church in America has been asleep too long. We've allowed things to just go by, and we haven't said anything. And only now are we starting to rise up and say, hey, wait a minute. 
We've gone too far now. And you know what? Things are happening in the positive. But we need to rise up and pray. Verse 35, he says, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because they have sinned. So he's given these different scenarios. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when, when they pray toward this place, toward this place of Jerusalem where the temple is, and they confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which... They should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And you might want to put a footnote in your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18, because there was a time yet future to what we're looking at now where Elijah, after he defeats the prophets of Baal, it was during a time of drought for, for three years. And after he slaughtered and killed those 450 prophets of Baal, he began to pray. And he went up on Mount Carmel. We visit that place when we go to Israel. He was up there, and he's praying, and he's looking out toward the Mediterranean, looking over to the east, because you can see the Mediterranean on top of Mount Carmel on a clear day. You can see the water. And he's up there praying, and does it three times, and then finally the rain comes. The rain comes. And doesn't it describe exactly what Solomon was saying? When the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because we've sinned against you, then, and they pray toward this place, and certainly I'm sure Elijah was praying toward Jerusalem as he prayed, and God heard, and God answered. Verse 37, And when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, then each one knows, uh, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands towards this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. And moreover, concerning a foreigner, and I love this one, and we'll get here in just a minute. I'm going to share something with you that's really interesting. Moreover, concerning a foreigner or a Gentile, who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples, underline that, all peoples of the earth may know your name. Not just the Jews, no. All peoples of the earth, that they may fear your name and do as, as your people Israel and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. And remember, Jesus is not just a, a Jewish Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the world. Remember when uh, the shepherds were in the fields when Jesus was born? And the angels came to them and says, Behold, I bring you good tidings, the angels said to those Shepherds, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to only the Jews? No, he says, to all people. That's important for you to know, because someone's going to come along and tell you he's just a God of the Jews. No, what I just read to you, and this, and there's other places too, he's the God of all. 
He's the God of all. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.